our number two, the Pete Callender Show here on News Talk 1110-993 WBT. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Happy Friday. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110 talking about this idea to forgive the student loans up to like 10 grand. Uh, the president is mulling this decision. And so there's this big push because they've been on hold. The, the collection has been on hold. There's been this period of forbearance. Uh, where student loan uh, debt holders have not had to make payments since March of 2020, and it's coming to an end. It's been extended like six times, and that's set to expire on August 31. And so now people are freaking out. Oh, my gosh. what I got to pay this stuff. I, I got to start paying this monthly again? Ah. Which, by the way, like this is one of the downsides to this idea. It's inflationary. So what Joe Biden is obviously thinking about doing is to is to increase inflation even more. And not just with this idea, but also, you know, more spending bills that they're trying to convince Joe Manchin to go along with and whatever. Like it, they, they don't they don't seem to be interested in pumping the brakes on any of this. I, I like I said at the beginning of the Biden term, I said, we're going to find out if MMT is bunk or legit? We're going to find out. And we're finding out right now that it's bunk. Modern monetary theory, the idea that deficits don't matter, just keep printing it, just keep spending it, we'll be fine and whatever. Like, I think history proves that's not the case, but a bunch of people college educated thought otherwise, so here we are. Charlotte Observer did a big series a couple of days back about forgiveness of college debt they had a bunch of different people who owed money and they were like oh i'd very much like to have it (laughs) you know forgiven which is like that was remember the days before north carolina had its education lottery south carolina had the lottery and you remember they would always you know when the jackpots got big news media would always go down across the border and stick a microphone in people's faces across uh, that are uh, standing in the lines waiting to buy their tickets and i remember uh Why am I drawing a blank on his name? Mike Costa? Yeah. Uh, the former reporter, WBTV, TV guy. And he was always critical of that story. He said, of course you're going to get people that say North Carolina should have a lottery. Of course. Because any North Carolinian you find in the line to buy a lottery ticket obviously wants to play it. Right? Okay. So, yes, of course, you're going to interview people that owe college debt and they're saying what? Oh, I'd very much like to not have to pay back all of this debt. Shocker of shockers. Yeah, they would like to keep more of their own money. But critics say cancellation could hurt the economy and create more problems than it solves. It doesn't make college more affordable, said Mark Goldwine, senior policy director at the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. That is a bipartisan public policy group based in Washington, D.C., And he says it's an expensive policy that ultimately benefits people who are better off. In other words, the rich. Exactly. Rich people. So it's going to benefit the rich people. Interesting. Oh, and it also increases inflation. Goldwine said debt cancellation makes sense in cases of predatory student lending. But 
Uh, it's fundamentally unfair. Forgiving billions in loans could also spur a new surge in spending. Right. If you keep rewarding the bad behavior, guess what's not going to change? The bad behavior. Because you rewarded it. It would worsen inflation that's already reached its worst level in decades, and it would slow the growth of student debt, but it would not stop it. So it would slow it just a little bit. Maybe. Also, he points out that the policy is regressive. It benefits borrowers who are now among the country's top earners. He says we'd be offering no help to somebody that didn't go to college. $10,000 for every doctor, every lawyer, every MBA. The government would be better off funneling dollars directly to needier Americans. Most people that are really hurting don't have student debt. They never went to college in the first place. A better solution would be to reduce education costs and make college more affordable. That's his prescription. All right. So as uh, as President Biden is mulling this over, there is a downside politically for Democrats to this. Okay. Here's the Washington Post's James Homan. Homan. Okay. Um, in a conversation with the Bulwarks, Charlie Sykes, who's a Never Trumper guy, the Bulwark. Over this topic, here's what Sykes asks him. How do they not get this? James, I'm sorry. How do they not get this? You look at the states like Minnesota, eh? Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, and what percentage of the population has college degrees? And yet you're asking all those people who are experiencing high anxiety to pay for this transfer of wealth. And then I'm sorry. I know that Twitter is not real life, but all of these folks saying this is a betrayal, only 10 grand. I have $50,000 in college debt. If the Democrats are only going to forgive ten grand, well, then I'm not going to vote for them. <laughs> this is sort of the same principle as you're never woke enough. So even if Biden goes ahead and does the 10K forgiveness, he's not going to get a lot of juice out of that squeeze because his base wants it to be more. And they're going to get mad. Why didn't you give me all of it? I mean, seriously, when does Joe Biden think this groundswell or where does he think this groundswell is going to come from except for this small group of highly entitled college graduates who dominate the staffing and the inner workings of the Democratic Party? Precisely. James Homan says, I've asked, I've repeatedly asked people, and I've asked a lot of people in the White House this question, and essentially the answer is, that this is the fault of Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock. What? Stacey Abrams, the governor of Georgia, right? Or in absentia, because she totally won that race, right? That's why she's not governor. Anyway, Stacey Abrams, she has been browbeating the White House on this and says that this is the only way she could win. This is going to be a base turnout election, she says. And we all know she knows how to win elections. So you better listen to her. She says the base isn't going to turn out if they don't do this and that they have all sorts of stats about how a lot of graduates from HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs, that they have all of this debt. And so there are a lot of people very close to the president who privately understand 
that this is a complete disaster for them. But the president is being pulled really hard by these woke leftists who believe it's all about the base. The move is statutorily illegal, by the way, um, and obviously political and self-serving, says Charlie Cook at the National Review. But uh, that's what's driving this train, Stacey Abrams, because she says it's all about the base. And what is the base? Black women, according to Stacey Abrams. And in Georgia, that's probably the case. It's the case here in Charlotte. That's the Democrats' core base. And... HBCUs generally have high tuition. I don't know why that is. They're private schools. I think that's generally why they're smaller and they're, I mean, the, the, I remember hearing the cost of tuition, I think it was at Johnson C. Smith one time. And I used to go down there and, uh, do classes and stuff, uh, you know, for media classes and whatever. And I remember just thinking this school is much smaller than, uh, than my alma mater Winthrop, which was the smallest school uh, state school in South Carolina when I went there. Cheapest, too. is really small and cheap. And um, by the time I left, it was, like, most expensive, I think. And now it's gotten huge. But I just remember thinking, like, this is a really expensive tuition bill for this, for this degree. And maybe it's because it's a private school. Um, so this is what's driving the train. Now, what should Republicans do to retaliate if Biden tries to do this? We'll get to that up next. Let me get to some emails to Pete at the Pete Callender show.com. It's Callender with a K A L I N E R. Uh, Jay says, Pete, um, well, now it just disappeared. There it is. It's back again. Uh, Pete, I met a young lady on a flight a couple of years ago. She majored in English lit at Brown university, which she told me, uh, was apparently a hospitality management degree. English literature is a hospitality management degree. Uh, so she was working in the field. She was, uh, yeah, she was a manager at an Olive Garden, and she said she made, she said she made um, six figures. She did make six figures, though. I mean, she worked sixty to seventy hours per week, but she made this six figures. Okay. Um, <laughs> Let me see here. This is, uh, do, 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 do. This is Blair. Pete, her, Hubert Hoover, Hubert Hoover, who did not go to college, warned of exactly what you were describing in regards to the educational industrial complex. I thought that was, I thought that was Truman. Anyway, he was concerned only those who could afford to go would go and not who should go do the academic Due to the academic ability. This looks like a voice to text here, if I've ever seen one. Incredible foresight, and our educational system needs a complete overhaul. Um, Dan says, Pete, this is wrought with moral hazard. What about the investors who lose their money? Suspect there are plenty of middle-class 401ks that would be impacted. It's going to make the cost of borrowing for school go up to account for the risk of more forgivenesses in the future. Maybe the universities with multi-billion dollar endowments should have to fund the program if this is where they want to go. How about we allow discharge of student loans via bankruptcy? This at least creates a negative consequence. I agree. To me, that's the most obvious first step. Allow student loans to be discharged in bankruptcy 
like all of the other debts. Um, Bill says, debt collection law. Actually, what you said today was not quite accurate. Uh, I know in North Carolina, at least this is the case. Once a debt collector contacts you one time and you ask them to never contact you again, they may not do that under penalty of law and fine. They have to go through the legal means court system to pursue it. They cannot harass you or contact you either by email or phone again. The trick is you have to make the statement. I don't know if that's part of national consumer protection laws or not, uh, but it is definitely the case in North Carolina because my brother is in the debt collection biz. Enjoy your show as always. Thank you, Bill. Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was joking. I mean, that's the whole thing about the collection. Uh, oh, no, I just deleted an email and I didn't mean to. Hang on a second. If only I could go back and... Uh, Oh, my gosh, there's so many of them. I can't find it now. Sorry if you wrote an email. I don't know who it was. Oh, that's not it. That's the drafts folder. I know this is fan- this is fascinating. This is great, uh, great content. Um, forgiving student loans, debt collection. Okay, well, whatever. Um, I had another. Do, 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 do. Here it was. Um, it was in my regular, my other email folder. See, I have so many email. I, this is, it's just, I have too many email folders. Um, Dwight, he said, one possible way to address student loans is to allow them to be written off in in bankruptcy. Okay. People could choose if their debt is worth the bankruptcy squeeze. Exactly. I like the idea, especially because I I espoused it earlier. Um, It would be a moral and political catastrophe and an act of gross, goonish, unfairness and class warfare and inflationary to boot for Joe Biden to unilaterally forgive federal student loan debts by executive order. So saith Dan McLaughlin at National Review. Doing so would not, of course, eliminate the debts. It would shift the cost of repaying them to the public at large, including many people who didn't go to college or scrimped and saved to avoid taking on debt or paid off their own loans or borrowed from private lenders not covered by the debt forgiveness. There are likely to be legal challenges as well to him doing this by presidential fiat. As even Nancy Pelosi said, right? People think that the president has the power to do this, and he doesn't. He can postpone, he can delay, but he does not have that power absent an act of Congress. Then again, those of us who lived through uh, the, the DACA, remember that? The Deferred Action on Childhood Arrivals, the DAPA for the parents, And the CDC eviction moratorium, remember that farce, right? We all know that a Democratic White House is still going to try things that even it admits it has no legal power to do. They're still going to do it. They they can come out and say, we don't have the authority to do this thing you're demanding of us, but we're going to do it anyway. And by the time it gets settled in court and we lose in court, eh, at least we will have, you know, thrown out a solid to the base, even though they don't get anything for it. As long as there's some short-term political gain. That's where we are. It's crazy. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. Talking about this idea apparently being pushed by Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock uh, into the Biden administration that they got to do something about student loan forgiveness. And uh, they cite the uh, the data that shows uh, black women have higher student loan debt 
than white men. That's one of the comparisons. And that's the one that the Charlotte Observer focused on. It's the only one I'm going to reference here. But that seemingly is the reason. And uh, Abrams talks about HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, and, and the debt load that those students graduate with. And so this would be the way to motivate the base. But here's the problem. If you only do a $10,000 forgiveness, you're going to get people that are like, that's it? Well, 10000 that's not much. Now, be careful what you wish for on this, folks, because normally, unless, of course, you know, President Tapioca decides to, uh, you know, change some more laws with the stroke of a pen. Um, when you forgive a debt, and I know this personally, I had debt that I had, uh, I, I came to settlements with. 20 years ago, I had credit card debt, couldn't pay it back. I mean, honestly, most of them were, most of the debt was fees and, uh, you know, late fees and over the limit fees once. Yeah. So anyway, you, you negotiate for, uh, uh, for a settlement. And so if I owed a thousand dollars, they're like, we'll settle with you for 400. Here's the catch. $600 counts as income. Yeah. There's the catch. What do you think happens if you get a student loan forgiveness of $50,000? You're going to have to do something about the tax code too, aren't you? To make sure that people aren't nailed with that kind of uh, tax liability. Same same concept when people win, uh, you know, they win a giveaway, they win a car. Oh, look at that. You won a car. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, and then you get hit with the taxes. This was one of the problems with the... Uh, Remember the, the show where they were making over people's homes and giving them these homes? And uh, what was his name? The guy with the pants uh, that were always falling down because he wore them so low. I think he was a football player. Ty Pennington. Isn't that his name? Chad Pennington? Doesn't matter. That guy. Yeah, th- that show. And it was on ABC. And then you would hear year, a couple years later, you start hearing about all these people that benefited from the new house. And then couldn't stay because they couldn't afford the taxes on it. So then they started doing, oh, we'll pay your property taxes as well. I had to start doing that. Um, Here's our uh, old pal, Colonel Kurt Schlichter, writing at Town Hall. He says, we need to do everything we can to ensure that the crustacean in chief folds to the left again and decides to pay off his constituency of affluent, sexually dysfunctional college loan debtors. Throw us in that briar patch, you desiccated old pervert. (laughs) This is a golden opportunity to raise academia as currently constituted and sow the campuses with salt. So he's welcoming this approach. Schlichter is. Let's understand what academia really is, he says. It's a network of colleges and universities that provide nearly meaningless credentials, mostly to upper middle class post-adolescents in search or in exchange for tons of money and access to their soft, malleable minds for indoctrination in the current commie consensus. Unless you're going to Hillsdale or the like, you're not getting what they are selling, a mind-opening experience where you will learn to think as you become an educated citizen. More likely, you'll get a piece of paper certifying your readiness to take your place as a cog in both the corporate and cultural machines. By the way, um, do you know it costs it costs more money uh, for uh, uh, for a company with uh, health benefits for its employees, that the if the mom has the baby, 
like the amount of time she's out, the leave, the the cost to add the, another person onto the uh, onto the benefits package, like all of those costs associated with having the family are more than the cost of the abortion. Do you think that that might have something to do with companies that are now willing to pay for women, their employees to have abortions? You've seen these stories, right? Do you think there might be an ulterior motive that the companies are looking out for their own bottom line? They really don't care about your choice. It's not really about that. It's about, hey, this is a cheaper option. And then the woman comes back to work like a day or two later. Let me go over here to Brian. Hello, Brian. What's going on? Yeah, hey, Pete. Hey, um, what's up? I just want to have a quick comment about the Democrats' education and the private sector. Democrats always say, they talk about education, getting an education, getting a degree, getting a degree. What good is that going to do if the Democrat Party goes after the private sector via taxes or regulations, which prevents the company being profitable so that they can hire a college graduate or uh, somebody with a GED? It is so counterproductive. It doesn't make any sense. Well, they think everyone will go to work for the government. Right. That's the problem. Is, you, see, you thought immediately of the private sector, and they think of the public sector, generally. They, yeah, uh, I, yeah, a lot of them just are in, a lot of them get the degrees in order to work in academia. That's uh, Some of these degree programs, that's what they are designed to do, right? It, it's just, yeah, it's about yeah. simply creating yeah. new colleges inside of universities uh, and new programs, new courses, and then you get installed there, you get your tenure, and then you're, you're set. You're done, right? That's it. Socialism. Yeah, well, I mean, that's eventually you run out of other people's money. Brian, I appreciate the call, buddy. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks. Bye, man. Bye. See you. Um, Kurt Schlichter, he says, academia outside of some STEM research, although now, you know, STEM is being decolonized and unpatriarched. It generally turned into a joke like transgender medieval karaoke studies is, except with a little math. But don't worry, there are no right answers because right answers are racist. Anyway, the, some STEM schools, some STEM research universities, they, they, they're still kind of useful. But outside of them, he says most are a drain on society. Four-year college is a four-year intense brainwashing session broken up by bouts of drinking and fumbling sex with other students of all the 673 different genders. The purpose besides to render you docile and eager to conform, is to provide a safe and lucrative sinecure for millions of faculty and administrators living high off the hog and unaccountable thanks to Uncle Sucker's student loan guarantees. Not surprisingly, when the government offered free money to students, the universities cranked up the prices to exactly what the government would fund. That the student ended up on the hook? That was no biggie. Totally protected from any sort of accountability for graduating a generation of useless basket cases fit only for fetching lattes and crying about how their anatomy makes them sad because they want the one they don't have. Academia has actually betrayed the kids by touting how their useless credentials would open doors for them, but sadly, it's often the front doors to the local Starbucks when the grads draw the opening shift. The government offered money. The schools raised the prices. No one is more of a capitalist than a col- than a collegiate communist, he writes. This is at townhall.com. I'll do some, uh, I'll give you some more of the highlights here. Yes, Brian Stelter makes an appearance. By the way, he's a potato. 
see what you did there. <laughs> News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Kurt Schlichter writing at townhall.com. Headline, use Biden's student loan rich jerk giveaway to destroy academia. He says, first off, the Constitution does not provide the alleged president with a magic wand to make people's private bills disappear. So we just put that out there first, okay? But even if we can't stop it from happening, he says, maybe we might not want to. I mean, if Brian Stelter, who's a potato, was walking footloose and fancy free towards a bunch of hungry Irishmen, would you yell, yo, tater, watch out for the mix? Or would you pull up a chair and a bag of popcorn and watch the fun begin? That's a totally fair question, and I can say all of that because I'm, I am Irish as well. The righteous fury about this, if it were to occur, he says, is going to be glorious. People are going to be livid. They'll be demanding reform. He says, we need to move to a system that does not take you out of society for four to eight years, depending on your degrees, and instead focuses on imparting the knowledge you need for your chosen profession. He also says, make it eligible for discharge in bankruptcy. Of course, then lenders will care about their investment, since we, the people, are no longer co-signing the loan. Students will become pickier consumers. They'll have to be. Colleges will need to compete by providing value. And value will no longer just be a piece of sheepskin after four years. Yeah, lots of colleges will probably go under. The big, formerly prestigious ones, they probably won't. Some people will always want to begin every conversation reminding us that they went to Harvard. But we have something for them, too. We're going to tax the endowments. Call it reparations for the massive damage that the Ivy, uh, the Ivy League has done to America. He says we need to use righteous fury, the righteous fury that will ensue in response to the total moral abortion that is canceling student loan debt. We might not be able to stop President worse than Carter, but we can take this huge political error and make something of it if that uh, make, make something out of it that doesn't suck. We can use it to pop the political pimple. That is academia. That's Kurt Schlichter. I told you the other day, he's hilarious. He's a hilarious writer. Which brings me to this story. It's actually from uh, Rosemary L. Hopcroft at ifstudies.org. And this is a study out of, uh, oh, sorry, she's a professor of sociology at UNC Charlotte. And uh, the headline, trigger warning here, the ideal husband, a man in possession of a good income. In 21st century America, over half of all married couples are dual, uh, dual earner families. And men are no longer expected to be the sole source of financial support for their families. It seems, therefore, the possession of means would no longer matter as much for men's marriage prospects, Right. Well, at the same time, it may matter more for women's marriage prospects. But she says, my new research published in the journal Evolution and Human Behavior shows that possession of means still matters when it comes to marriage and family formation for men, but not for women. God, it's almost like there's a difference that seriously, it's 
very close. I'm up on the line here. I'm up on the edge. For men, as income increases, the probability of marriage also increases, such that men in the highest income category are about 57 percentage points more likely to marry than men in the lowest income category. The same is not true for women, though. High-income men are more likely than low-income men to marry, while income is unrelated to marriage for women. Income unrelated to marriage for women. Given that marriage involves choice on both the man and the woman's part, those uh, results suggest that women are more likely to choose to marry men with good financial prospects, while a woman's financial prospects are less important to men when choosing a marriage partner. Once again, just spitballing here. I think men and women might be different. I think there might be some difference here. Not only are high-income men more likely to marry, they are more likely to stay married. See, so all of the woke stuff that comes from a lot of these, quote, elites, this is stuff that they're telling you to live by. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah you should totally be one of the 7,000 you know, genders or whatever. But for them, no. No, no, for them, they're still living in sort of more traditional norm relationships. The probability of divorce declines as income rises, such that men in the highest income category are about 37 percentage points less likely to divorce than men in the lowest income category. For women, the probability of divorce increases as income rises, perhaps mostly due to reverse causality and the fact that divorced women are more likely to have to support themselves financially. For men, the results suggest that women are more likely to divorce low-income men than high-income men. Isn't that shocking? Women are more likely to divorce low-income men than high-income men. Huh. Weird. Where would that be? High-income men are also more likely to be recycled in the marriage market, more likely to remarry than low-income men. Men in the highest-income groups are about 38 percentage points more likely to remarry than men in the lowest income group. Once again, suggesting high-income men are valued as long-term mates by women. High-income women, on the other hand, they are less likely to remarry than low-income women. Interesting.